the reason why it's such a bad idea to leave money in cash is you're guaranteed to be losing at least 2% due to inflation. So even if your money is technically safe in a checkings account or a savings account, and you're not gaining interest, you're not losing money, you are losing you know, whatever the, the inflation rate is, which is usually around 2%. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step -step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Johnny F.D. Johnny, are you ready to rock? I'm always ready to rock, Andrew. Yeah, I can just see that. And reading your bio and learning more about you, I can see exactly why. So let me tell the audience a bit about you. Johnny grew up in San Francisco and quit his job at the corporate giant Honeywell in 2007 to move to Thailand to travel the world and work as a professional scuba diver. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I bet your friends, at, your friends at Honeywell were like, damn. <laughs> yeah. While there, he started, as in there, as in while in Thailand, he started training and fighting professionally in Muay Thai kickboxing. And he's written two books, 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap, and Life Changes Quick, both on Amazon. Started multiple six-figure online businesses and since has been interviewed and featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and BBC. You can find out more about him on his blog, Johnny FD, and on both the Travel Like a Boss and Invest Like a Boss podcast. Uh, Johnny, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Man, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good already. Yeah, it's wild. That that was just really the last 10 years of my life. And I've since been to probably 40 countries. I've lived you know, all over the world. I've only been back to the US to visit since then. Uh, mostly take advantage of a lot of tax breaks. But yeah, 11 months of the year, I'm, I'm in a different country doing something cool. That's amazing. Uh, would you, are you considered a digital nomad? I am. Some people consider me one of the, the first ones, not age-wise, but I was definitely one of the first that, that was openly talking about it and blogging about it. The Travel Like a Boss podcast is one of the first, or if, if not the first, digital nomad podcast. And I'm, I'm also the founder of a big conference that we've done for six years now called the Nomad Summit. Mm. Where is the next conference? Or is it in the same city? So we do a big conference every year in Chiang Mai, Thailand, every January. And every year we also do a kind of a satellite conference. This year is going to be in Cancun, Mexico. So I uh, hope to see you guys out on one of the other ones. That's fantastic. Well, I think we should definitely get into the show notes, the information about those. So anybody listening can check it out. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah, definitely. So I actually chose three because I, I think there's so many lessons to be learned on each ones and I'll kind of quickly go, go over them. I would say part of the, the biggest, most annoying one is buying cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. You know, seeing that just tank down, I still hold on to some Ripple just because I just hate selling at a loss. 
finally, I, I, you know, I, invest, I bought in a Bitcoin at 18,000 just because of the kind of the FOMO and how, how hyped up it was, even though I knew it was not a good investment. And I would say the other ones have been having, you know, like getting into peer-to-peer lending with Lending Club and just having my money tied up for five years and just seeing default after default after default and just thinking, man, this was all the money I had. And not only could I not get it out, but people were just flaking out on paying back, you know, paying it back and it's un- completely unsecured. But I would say out of kind of the, the one loss that I think a lot of people don't think about or the one big mistake that I've been very conscious of is keeping money in cash or not investing it for these last couple of years, thinking that the market you know, is due to go down any day now, that we're due for a big recession or big crash. And it, but it's been you know two, three years and all the potential gains that I've lost on, to me, that's probably financially the biggest hit. Mm. And b- before we go deeper into that, let me ask you just uh, so you can let the listeners know, Lending Club, as I remember, wasn't that started in San Francisco or on the West Coast? Yeah, it probably was. And it was, it was I think it was my first ever investment because I thought the concept sounded amazing. You know, you know sort of having to go to a bank and apply for a loan, you can just borrow from someone else, you know, not a family or, you know, or a friend, but you can do these, these small loans, like $25 or hundred dollars at a time. And it just sounded like a great concept. And did lending club um, split that up or were they just a broker where they were giving you a direct relationship with the person that was buying that or that was borrowing that? Yeah, they were split it up. So it made it really, really easy. So instead of, you know, somebody, you know, asking one person for a $25 loan, maybe they wanted 2,500 to, you know, fix their house or, you know, fix their business or pay off a, a high interest credit card. They would ask for $2,500, but instead of one person giving them the full amount, it would be divided by, you know, a uh, hundred different people or 10 different people. And it's mm. made it much, much more palatable. So then what they were providing really was what a bank typically does is diversify its lending across many different borrowers. So, on, in theory, it seemed like it should be a really good thing. What went wrong? I think the biggest problem was there was it wasn't backed by anything. And I think people can just default a lending club without much repercussions. I don't even know if, if it negatively affects your credit or not. So what had happened after about three years is people just stopped paying off their loans thinking, well, no one else is paying it off. <laughs> Why should I? That's uh yeah. And and then wasn't there a scandal with lending club with the CEO or something like that? Can't remember. Yeah, I, heard, I heard something about it. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of it's kind of bad management. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to turn around the company. Now I, I get these surveys from them saying, well, what if we did this? What if we introduced this product? And I, I've been so annoyed at them that I always fill it out just to yell at them. And I basically just tell them there's nothing you can do at this point to regain my trust. <laughs> what if you get my money back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be a good starting point. So let's, let's just go into, uh, I'd like to just talk for briefly about the, the idea of not investing and leaving money in cash. And, um, you know, for some people, they think this isn't a mistake because they feel safe in cash. But also one of the things that I try to teach, for instance, in one of the books I wrote, which is called How to Start Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. I said that you have to have a really long time horizon. You know, you think I want to retire at 50 or I want to retire at 60 and have a decent amount of money. How significant is it 
that you were either in or out of the market for one year, you know, during that period of time that you're building up your investment pro, you know, portfolio. And if I go and carry forward uh, the returns, what I calculate is that you're much worse off not contributing, even if the market is high, than if you, you know, just stay out of the market. I'm just curious kind of what your thinking process is when you went into that decision and then what changed in your thinking process to think that was a bad decision? When I was going into the decision, it's, you know, you see the charts, you know, off, you know, off the records, we're at an all time high. It just feels expensive to get in. And you hear so much talk about there needing to be another big recession or a big correction. And we believe that it should be happening and it probably should be happening. It just hasn't happened for whatever reason. Mm. So we, and people, I think we, we as humans, we just hate overpaying for things. I, I know I, 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 if I had to overpay for something and then I see it goes on sale by 25% or 50% in the next month, it would devastate me. And just seeing my money, just, you know, the fear of loss is actually bigger, you know, than the fear of missing out. So it was, it was an emotional decision not to invest the money and the mistakes I made there was I literally left it in cash in a is pretty much a zero uh, percent interest checking account because that's that's just what most of us have, you know. Even if I did move to a savings account, it was point zero zero one percent or something, so it almost didn't matter. But what I should have should have done is at the very least looked around options because there are you know, savings accounts out there that pay two percent, you know, things like uh, these online banks like Ally or Marcus. And the, the reason why it's such a bad idea to leave money in cash is you're guaranteed to be losing at least 2% due to inflation. So even if your money is technically safe in a checkings account or a savings account, and you're not gaining interest, you're not losing money, you are losing you know, whatever the, the inflation rate is, which is usually around 2%. Yep. Yep. So if you, if you go out to see a movie and it costs you 10 bucks and then you put your money in cash and a year or two later you go out and you think, oh, I'm going to go see a movie. I think I'll take out 10 bucks out of the bank account. You go down to the movie and they say, hey, it's 12 bucks. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you lose too. <laughs> yeah. And then the second part of it is the, the loss of the potential gains. Because even if the stock market you know, didn't grow in, you know, in, in that year or those two years, you're still missing out on dividends and that might be 1% or even 2%. So right there, you know, you're losing 2% on the, uh, on inflation, you're losing one or 2% on dividends that are, be, that would have been paid out, which would have been either reinvested into your account or cashed out on. And then you have the potential losses on, on average, the stock market goes up by seven to 8% a year. You know, and, if we sat out on that, I mean, in the last couple of years, it's gone up even more. So really it's by me keeping, you know, a significant amount of money. And it was, I think it was over 75,000. It was, I would look at my, my checking account sometimes and I would feel wealthy because I, I can see sometimes up to a hundred thousand dollars in the checking account, but at the same time I'm losing money. It's almost like a, a bucket with a slow drip. And that's not only not, you know, not growing, but it's, it's, Become, you know, it's a, almost a liability that's losing money. 
Mm. So let's, uh, let's, maybe you can just kind of summarize what have you learned, you know, from these experiences that you, that you've talked about, what would you say is kind of one, two, three of what you've learned? Well, for cryptocurrencies, it's don't fall for the FOMO. <laughs> just don't feel like you're missing out. Try to get these big, you know, wild gains. Instead of my strategy now is slow and steady wins the race. If I can grow my portfolio by 7% a year for the rest of my life, I'm going to be very, very happy with that. Mm. As for peer-to-peer lending, I'm still a big fan. I still have 75K in a peer-to-peer lending account, but now it's secured by real estate. So if these people don't pay off these loans, we repossess their house, we sell it and we get our money back. So I would say there's there's always an alternative out there. We just have to listen to enough podcasts, ask enough people, do, do enough research to figure out, hey, you know, why invest in this, you know, with either 0%, you know, returns, uh, when we can get 2% on a, on a, just a different savings account that doesn't have a physical branch or why give money uh, to somebody at, with, as an unsecured loan when we can give it as a secured loan that's property backed. And the last part is the only market timing that is proven to work is just time in the market. And nobody, no matter how smart we are or how much we can predict the future, nobody can predict the market. So it's better just to be in the market. Fantastic. I love it. In fact, that's a great saying, time in the market, not timing the market. Mm. Yep. Uh, So let me uh, go over a few things. I'll summarize what I take away from it. Um, If if I could summarize about the peer-to-peer lending, I would say, Lend, but get collateral. Yes. Make sure you're collateralizing anything that you lend to. And then the second part is the, the part about time in, in the market, which you're, you're definitely right. I mean, allowing money to compound is, is the critical key. And in order, the, the real people love to show the chart of the exponential rise in your money in later years from allowing your money to compound. But, you know, the, the, the sad news of that chart is that it doesn't start to really compound until year 30. And most people never start early enough to get to year 30 or stay in long enough to get the real compounding impact. And um, what I would also say, the, the other thing that I, I, maybe I'll, I'll just talk briefly about an issue that I've had to deal with that I've, you know, come up with my little solution for. And I'll, I'll give an example. I, I have an online course called Basically, it's based upon my book, How to Start build your, Building Your Wealth, Investing in the Stock Market. And so I try to teach people to look at the long term, think about investing over a long period of time, think about you know, putting your money in regularly on a regular basis. So really, if you're putting in $1,000, $2,000 each month, it doesn't really matter if the stock market's super high right now because you know, in six months or two years, you'll be putting money in when the stock market's down also. And from a long-term perspective, it's better to get that gain that comes from that. But there are people that just have a behavioral bias, or just a, an emotional bias, where they just have a hard time putting money in. So I'm going to give you an example of what, what I do. And this may be something that you can think about and for the listeners to think about. Let's just imagine that uh, what, what I usually look at is 110 minus your age. So Let's take a 30-year-old, and so that means that 80% of their assets should be uh, allocated to equity by my system, my thinking. 
And what I would say for equity is that a globally diversified fixed, uh, sorry, passive ETF or passive fund, that's pretty broadly diversified. You, you've reduced a lot of risk with that. And let's just say, for simplicity's sake, that the remaining 20% is in fixed income. So the problem that you face is when the stock market's super high, you're afraid to put in that money. And let's just say you're putting in $1,000 every month. And so you're going to put 800 in equity and you're going to put 200 into the fixed income component or a bond ETF. So you get kind of nervous. What, what I've done is I've created a, a thing that I call red light, green light, which is just a very simple thing that's based upon the tools that I've, I've learned, which is called FVMR, Fundamentals, Valuation, Momentum, and Risk, and saying, okay, let's take these four items, mix them together, and see if they can tell us. Only thing I really want to know is if the market is like crazy high. If it's crazy high, I just need a red light to flash to say, okay, at least I know it's probably crazy high. And if it is flashing green, it's crazy low. I'm not giving any trading rules or anything off of that. It's just that it's an indication. And then basically what I say is, look, if you're a person that really gets stressed out about it, if you see it flash crazy high red, just take the 800 that you would normally put into equity and put it all into bonds. And when you see it flash crazy green, maybe take the 20 that you would put in to bonds that particular month and put that into equity. And that's the only way that I can come up with kind of a rules-based system that, you know, allows someone to, you know, control their emotion a bit. And you, it, it only flashes red or green 10% of the time. And so I try to keep it to an absolute minimum. So that just gives an idea for, and, and for those people that don't even really want to be that sophisticated, then just do that 80-20, 80-20 every single month, regardless. Don't worry about where the stock market is, as long as you're contributing over a long time. You have anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I could definitely see that being a, a good tool to take away some of the emotions from it and just make, make it feel like you're, you're, you're still getting a good value. I, I actually do something similar where, where I have three uh, ETFs, all three are low cost index funds through Vanguard. Mm -hmm. uh, I have the total stock market, which is you know, about 3,000 funds, very diversified. Right. I have one that is a small cap value stock, so mm -hmm. slightly smaller companies that you know, are not, they're good values. They're not over, overly priced, like, you know, a high, high ticket tech stock that just is just really hot right now. Mm. Uh, and I also have a merging, merging uh, markets fund. So yep. that can get a little taste of the rest of the world. And what I do is whenever I put in, um, I, I've been putting in $3,000 a month, uh, every month for the last mm. few years, I'll go in and sometimes I'll just buy whatever's on sale. Like if one is, has this dropped, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this emerging markets fund seems like it's, it's dipped. I'll put a lot of, you know, sometimes even all, all 3,000 of that. Or, and I'll just kind of take a look at, at the three and just whatever's the best value, I'll put my money in that one. And it gives me a little bit of control. Mm. And, but I would say even better than that would be set it on auto invest and never look at it. That, that is by far the best way to guarantee you'll, you'll do it every month and you'll take the emotions out of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And in fact, I do a calculation to say if you were 40 years old and you made a, you, one person made a choice just to 
set it and forget it and make the contribution. Whereas the other person decided to move their money a little bit into, you know, more into equity or more into bonds, uh, bond fund, like I explained, what you find is that the improvement over a long period of time is actually tiny. Let's say the long-term return is 7%. If you did the red light, green light, you'd probably get to 7.3. <laughs> so truthfully, it doesn't add a lot of value, but sometimes it adds some emotional stability and sometimes that emotional uh, control is something that can keep someone investing, which is really the most important thing. So yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And actually one of the reasons why I even invest manually and I just don't have it on an auto invest is because I enjoy shopping for investments. I enjoy the buying process and it satisfies my craving to go out and buy things. I think when I used to live in San Francisco, my shopping addiction was going on, on Amazon and seeing, you know, what should I buy this week or this month? You know, going to, you know, the home stores and thinking, you know, what new appliance do I need or how should I decorate my house? What, you know, going to the mall and thinking, you know, what new, no, what new clothes should I buy? Or even what new car should I buy? I, I really believe that if I was still living in the U.S. and I had all this time and money on my hands, I would probably have my, you know, be down in the Corvette dealership uh, getting a new C8 <laughs> right now. And I'm so glad that I'm in a position where I'm traveling and I physically cannot carry anything. You know, I've been traveling carry on only for the last year where my only shopping is buying assets and no longer liabilities. Yeah. And that's the key really. When you get switched from buying liabilities over to assets, things that appreciate you've made huge progress. All right. Well, last question is what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My goal now is to stay on track. And I think this is something that everybody should strive to get to. In the beginning, we have to figure out what our game plan is, educate ourselves, you know, figure out you know, what makes us happy, but also what our investing goals are. You know, and, whether, and for me, you know, it's not just with my investing goals. It's staying on track with everything, you know, my fitness, my diet, you know, investing you know, regularly, growing my income, keeping my, my expenses low. Mm -hmm. And I know now that if I just <laughs> stay on track... I'm going to be healthier, wealthier, and you know, life is going to be good. So that, that's, that's it. Stay on track. Keep doing what I'm doing. Love it. Love it. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Johnny, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Yeah, learn from mistakes, don't make your own, and just go out and, and kick some butt. Absolutely, and stay on track, folks. Great advice. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.